knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What has been your biggest homesteading failure to date? I'll give you a minute to think. Was it some kind of livestock that just didn't work out for you? Did you try to start a garden and it just failed miserably? Leave us a comment, either on YouTube or if you're listening to the podcast, you can click the link, head over to our website and leave a comment at the website. Leave us a comment. What was your biggest failure to date? I'd say ours to date has been running a successful goat dairy. We've owned over 20 goats. We've attempted multiple times to milk them, and we have yet to be really successful at doing this. Hopefully my daughter can carry the torch and make it happen. For Misty, their first big failure was blueberries. You know, when we came out here, we really wanted a blueberry farm. You know, I, the reason we love blueberry picking is because we went to a blueberry farm, and that was the first place that we took our little girl. She was 17 months old. We were pregnant with our second. We took her, and she just was a toddler, just pulling berries off. They're right that age where uh, it's just kind of magical for a little kid to think food is growing off of this that I can eat. That I can <laughs> and it's, it's just so fun to do that. And so that was just a tradition of ours every year to take our kids there. And I think that we just loved it because our experiences on blueberry farms were, you know, just super, super fun to do with our kids. And we kind of wanted to recreate that at our, at our own house. And so that's what they did. Misty and her husband, Clay, brand new starry-eyed farmers, bought a little piece of earth and started a incredibly successful blueberry farm, right? That's how this story goes. That's how all new farmer stories go, right? Yeah. We've had the worst of luck with creating a blueberry <laughs> farm. <laughs> it's not even in the dreams, you know, I'm happy to go to our neighbor's blueberry farm now and just pick there. Misty and Clay did not have great success out the gate with their brand new blueberry farm. 
but that early learned lesson would eventually shape their whole outlook on homesteading. It's it's a thing that we say in our in our family. It takes a decade of good decisions before you see the fruit. You know, you you plant a field of corn and the raccoons eat it, and so you you know, you know you figure out how to deal with the the raccoons, and then you figure out how to deal with this or that. But it feels like you're always problem solving, or at least it did for us in those early days. It felt like we were problem solving, and then one day we kind of looked up and it's like, hey. Do you feel like lately your homestead life has been a lot of failures? Are you newer at this and you've been struggling? Have you been doing a couple of years but you hit a rough patch? Honestly, I felt that way about a month ago. We just had one of those weeks where everything was going wrong. And then I looked up and hey, our entire patch of experimental sunflowers was growing. It's the middle of summer for a lot of us. I know that means we've been working hard all spring into the heat of the summer. I know some of you listening are probably starting to feel tired, maybe worn out, maybe seeing some mistakes made along the way already this season. Today's episode, we're all going to pause. We're going to look up and we're going to see where a, as Misty and Clay refer to it, a decade of good decisions, decade of good decisions may lead us We'll learn where it led them. And we realize that something in all of the, the thick of all the work and all the challenge and all the, the, the pressure and the difficulty that we were actually really building something, uh, you know, really wonderful. Hopefully by the end of listening to this episode, you'll be able to look up on your own homestead and find something truly wonderful. At least you'll be inspired to keep going until you do. The world that we live in is a crazy place. This is a pandemic. And a toilet paper tussle. Inflation hitting a new... They're protesting. But you and me, we can make a difference. By just starting a garden, harvesting rainwater, raising some meat chickens with a couple of friends. All these little steps, bit by bit, it makes life better for you, me, and our kids. So if you've wanted to start homesteading, or maybe just grow your homestead a little bit bigger this year, well, you found the right podcast. Cozy up, it's time for another episode of Homesteady. Just a quick reminder, all of our Homesteady podcast episodes that appear here on iTunes or on YouTube, wherever you're watching or listening, are edited versions of the full-length interview, which winds up in the Pioneer Library. If you're a Homesteady Pioneer, click the link that either popped up on your screen or is in the description below so you can listen to the full-length version of this episode. And if you're not a Pioneer but you want access to all the full-length, unedited versions and our classes, courses, videos, and everything else that is there just for Pioneers, click the link below that says Become a Pioneer. We'd love to have you join. So Misty, I've been following you on social media, and uh, I've been following your husband. I've been listening to his podcast. I know a lot about you guys and what you're up to. But for our audience who's maybe new to you, has never seen what you're up to, uh, give us a little virtual, uh, digital version of the tour of your homestead. If we were to fly a drone over Newcomb Farm, what would we see right now today? Okay, today what you would see is we have seven acres. Five of them are pretty much wooded and there's trees and wild animals and things like that, but no, nothing, it, it's completely untamed in, in five of the acres. Two of the acres, we would have, you would see a couple of mules on those acres and that's about the, 
the maximum that th those acres can take combined with everything else we have in terms of large livestock. We do have a couple pigs. We have, at this point, we have 30-ish chickens, uh, give or take one, given uh, given how, you know, whatever the predators are doing. That's more <laughs> chickens than we really want or need, but that's, uh, I, I went a little overboard after a really hard winter with predators. And then you would see a, a really big garden, uh, a, a garden that we have a family of, of six, we have four kids, two boys, two girls. The girls are in and out because they both live out of state right now. Um, and, and you would see, you know, a lot of, a lot of activity. You guys, uh, you look at your homestead, where it's at now and all the things you're doing, and it looks like you, your old pros have been doing this forever. Uh, did either of you grow up in like an agricultural life, any kind of farming, any kind of homesteading? Yeah, well, I grew up in a town of 410 people in Southern Arkansas, and it would be difficult to say that anyone there was not surrounded by an agricultural life. It was very rural. Clay lived not too far, a little bit bigger town, about 5,000 people. And where we're from, there's just a lot of agrarian types of activities, a lot of chicken farms. You're definitely surrounded by agriculture. My parents and his parents, neither one of us had parents who farmed. The primary reason that my family didn't farm is because their families were all farmers. Um, the people who most influenced me in terms of wanting a garden would probably be my great-grandparents on my dad's side of the family. And they, because his mom was sick, they spent a lot of time with him and he would say he was at least partially raised by them. And you know, we'd go to their house and visit, and they always had just a gigantic garden. They were raised in the Depression era, so they were very, very conscientious about consumption and about using their resources well. And so their their house was just kind of this amazing place that had, uh, you know, a catfish pond and had, had berries that they had transplanted. And as a kid, it felt like I was going somewhere uh, almost magical. You, they had blackberries that were just gigantic and as far as the eye could see in the back behind their house. Um, but more than anything, I think they influenced me because they loved their farm and they loved their garden and it, it was just a special place to them. And so I think even though my parents were kind of like, no, that life is not for us. We're not interested in weeding or <laughs> working in the hot southern Arkansas sun. I saw, I didn't see that part of it. I didn't see the unpleasant side of it. I saw people who just really loved love their garden, and love spending time outside. My grandparents would bring us food. So my mom loved the food that a garden produced, right? So they would bring us bread sacks full of black-eyed peas, purple peas, squash, corn. And it was always like a big feast at our house when they did that because my mom loved cooking for her family. But there was no... We, we tried one garden in my whole life, and it was eaten up by ants. And <laughs> it was not a positive experience. So it was definitely not something that I neither Clay nor my family had any direct experience with. We got married 22 years ago, and we moved from the Washtos to the Ozarks to go to school in, in Fayetteville. And my, Clay was a big hunter. His grandpa was a big bird hunter. His dad was a big bow hunter and hunted, hunted primarily deer. And by the time I met Clay, you know, in the late 90s, he was very well on the track of, of hunting. 
it was really kind of a culture shock to me. Um, I didn't, and it's kind of funny because I grew up, there were hunters all around, but I just wasn't close to them. And I didn't really get, like, I didn't get it. And my family didn't get it. And so it wasn't something that I really understood. And when I first met Clay and he said he was a hunter, I, I, I kind of joke about it. I was like, oh man. <laughs> um, and one of the things as we were starting our family, he, uh, we lived in an apartment for about eight months and pretty quickly moved out of there because Clay was like, mm, I need some space. <laughs> <laughs> he needed to be able to shoot his bow and arrow. So when we moved to our first little rental house, not too far outside, it was in the country. And it was, you know, there was something about it that just sort of made really hit him. He started it, but just made him want to start a garden. And I loved like going out there with him, but he did the hard work and we would, you know, we had our first child at that house and he always talked about how important it was to him that, that would be authentic and how we lived our life. Right. So he was a big hunter and he didn't want to hunt and just like give away the meat, which is, or just use it, you know, for a, a party chili or something like that. <laughs> yeah. He really wanted to, our family to eat the meat and consume the meat. And that was kind of from the very beginning of our marriage. That was something that was real important to him. And it really was not something that I was really prepared to eat either. It was, I was a real finicky eater and um, I didn't really want to deal with this. So here you have Misty who comes from a non-hunting background, who is a picky eater and isn't really excited about trying wild game and at the same time clay who is a hunter whose family has a tradition of hunting and he wants to use the meat not just to give away or to give to friends but to be a core on their family table how are they going to find middle ground here i had dealt with some some sickness right whenever we got married i traveled and gotten really sick um internationally and came back and, and had some a difficult time getting over it I was anemic I was sick and one of the things I read talked about just wild game as being more iron dense and are more rich in iron and so you know I was motivated for a lot of different reasons to try it and found that you know found some form of of health inside of natural natural remedies we were young and in college and just evaluating everything and I started getting super interested in just the impact that food and what we consume and chemicals and all that kind of stuff has on our bodies because I saw kind of firsthand the healing power that some more natural remedies had as compared to you know more of a, a medical mindset and of course you know we go to the doctor we we don't have any any problem with that but I just was kind of intrigued with like you know, I, I was never really taught that much about, I mean, fam food and family dinner was really important to us. But as far as like processed food versus not processed food, I'm a good Southern girl and almost every meal probably had a can of cream and mushroom. And so this, <laughs> this was, you know, that sort of uh, mindset was something that was kind of new to me. And I was really interested. And of course, you know, we're talking about heart, wood, meat harvested in the woods. That's about as organic as you can get. And so um, it kind of fit. And we it was just something that we sort of connected on as young people start in our family. We moved out here in 2005 where we live now. And when we moved here, it was kind of like a step towards we had kind of stayed outside of the the big city where we're where we're located um but we this was the ozarks became home for us and when we moved out here in 2005 we by that time we had a couple little girls and um 
you know, actually we had, we had three kids. Our son was a couple months old and we were looking for land. And when we, you know, found land that we could afford all seven acres of it, um, it was like, you know, we wanted to use it and we wanted to do things with it. And we'd had this small garden at every little rental property that we had, every place we lived, we were able to, you know, get a little bit, a couple tomatoes or whatever. But when we moved out here, um, when we closed on the, that property, I bought Story's Book of Country Seals and <laughs> found it totally inspirational. <laughs> <laughs> Clay was, you know, building the house and contracting it out, and I was at home reading that. We we wanted to make sure we were grandfathered in as an agricultural property, so we bought a goat named David, and <laughs> <laughs> we camped him here, and we would bring the kids down to watch the progress and visit with the goat. Never really got too far into goat farming. He was not a very kind goat. <laughs> <laughs> like a, like sure most goats. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so that was kind of where we got started. It wasn't super clean cut, like um, it was kind of messy, just to be real honest. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. MidwayUSA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products, and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com We came out here with big hopes and dreams and raccoons ate all of our corn and deer ate all of our, you know, all of our produce. And we had a well and it wasn't great and it would consistently run out in august and all the blueberries would die when I mean, we we tried over and over we tried a couple different things and finally we were just like this is dumb yeah. <laughs> we are spending an enormous amount of money to get four berries every year. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we're not supposed to be have a blueberry farm you know it it, it was definitely just the survival of the fittest sort of thing we can't make this, this thing work and and so um, we gradually just had more success with other things. We had three kids at that time under age three, and then we had our fourth within a, a year or two of that. So we had four kids in five years, and whew, it was like it, it was a lot. And we were, you know, still kind of really in the formative years of our marriage, learning how to partner together, learning all those skills as well. They didn't know it at the time, but they were building the process in which they would grow their homestead over the years. I think just starting small and not not trying to be too perfectionistic about things. If you, It's easy, I think, people who are connected to their food source, there's almost like a, it's, it's a value. And when something's a value, it's easy to put it in um, terms of like moral absolutes. Like I must grow all my food and it must be grown organically and it must be, you know, and if it's not done that way, then it's wrong. And it's, I think it's important to, you know, relax just a little bit and, and say, you know, we're going to take steps towards 
having a, a pure, more whole food system inside of our home. And I think that that's kind of what has brought us here is that you can look at it now. And like you said, it really is a nice, uh, I mean, we're sourcing a lot of our own food. I mean, an enormous amount of our own food and, and the meals we eat are, are very holistic and um, very, we're connected to the source of, of the vast majority of the food that we eat here. However, you know, we go out to eat. We uh, we have kids that have basketball games or busy schedules sometimes where we're not able to do that. And we don't beat ourselves up about that. I don't, um, my lines are not super straight in the garden. It's a little <laughs> wild out there. And there's a lot of things, sometimes people will come and say, well, that's not the right way to do it. And I'm like, mm, I don't know that there is a right way to do it. There's, this is not, uh, there are some things that are just moral absolutes. I'm not sure that <laughs> how I structure my garden is one of those things. <laughs> There are things that work for you in different seasons, and so just take take what you can in every season that you're in and build on that. Let life be something that you're you know you build upon day after day, line upon line, and that's that's how you end up with with something that's majority sourced from your own your own place. Misty and Clay were growing a lot; they were learning a lot, but as life often does, there were changes coming their way and changes for their homestead too. There was a season where we, you know, we always had a small garden, but there were several, several years where we didn't, you know, when it was, when the, the predators came and got the chickens one year or whenever, you know, one by one, they, they died off and we didn't have any more chickens. It was just like, mm, I don't feel like we should do that right now. I think the coop is, you know, we should just move it off to the side for right now. And it was just kind of a sense of like, that's not where the emphasis is for our life right now. We really need to focus on these kids and our, you know, at times it was kids and jobs. Kids, kids are always in there, you know, they're always, once you have them, they're always a priority area. Um, but, you know, so we, we kind of just would go, go with that and move with the different seasons. And Clay had started a, a business. He was landscaping. I was finishing up school because, you know, my path had gotten a little, uh, a little messy just having kids. Um, so, so once I, I finished school, I went to work in 2009 and we kept the garden, but, uh, the chickens, you know, I, I think our last, our last herd of chickens for a while was in 2012. I started, um, I started working for, uh, I was actually the founding director of a, a private school here in, Nor in Northwest Arkansas. And when that started, it just consumed so much of my time that as those chickens, you know, died and, and went, went on, uh, we didn't renew them for a little while. This is, I think, one of the highlights of my interview with Misty. Uh, something I took away was how in a lifetime of small farming or homesteading, we go through different stages, different changes. It made me think of the path of the butterfly. We all know the butterfly starts off as a caterpillar. Maybe you remember from school, I know I did, probably most millennials had this class where the teacher got a butterfly, maybe a monarch butterfly caterpillar for us a group of them, and we watched the caterpillars eat leaves and crawl around the little box. And then they created their little, um, what is that thing called? Uh, what does a caterpillar go in? Help me out here. It goes into chrysalis, chrysalis. <laughs> How did I forget? Public school right there. The caterpillar 
forms that chrysalis and we see that little hanging chrysalis one day you come into class and suddenly the caterpillar is gone and there's just this little mysterious little sack and we wait days and days go by and then suddenly we see this beautiful monarch butterfly flapping around our little terrarium and we release it into the wild. Honestly, the most fascinating part of that whole transformation is what we don't see inside of that little mysterious chrysalis. Inside that caterpillar is not growing wings out of its caterpillar body. It's becoming dissolved, literally turning into a strange caterpillar jello that then reforms into a whole new shape of a creature, a whole new kind of a creature that can do things the caterpillar never could, like fly. And it emerges as something beautiful and incredible that can do even more than that caterpillar could ever dream of. I think most homesteaders, they go through a goo phase. If you homestead long enough, your life will throw changes at you that at some point make you deconstruct the homestead that you've worked so hard on. Maybe it's paring down, selling off some of your favorite livestock because you have to simplify. Maybe you stop altogether to the point where you no longer resemble the caterpillar-like homesteader that you were in the first place. You just look like a bunch of goo. <laughs> We may shrink down, pare down. We may become a goo that doesn't resemble homesteading in hardly any way. And time may pass, and to the outside world, we may appear to be nothing like a homesteader. But I think, I think this homesteader way of life is something that stays growing inside of ourselves, inside our brains. We're constantly thinking of how we could get back to that and do more and produce more and grow more. And a lot of us go through these periods where we come out of our chrysalis and blossom into these beautiful butterfly homesteaders. I know Kay and I over the last decade plus of homesteading have pared down and shrunk down to time periods where even on our YouTube channel we would get comments like, you guys aren't even homesteaders anymore. <laughs> and now we're producing more than we ever have and we have more animals than we ever have. That's what happened at the Newcomb Farm. And then as our kids got older, you know, we always kept the garden going. That was something that's kind of been a constant and Clay kind of tended that. But our kids got older, our careers kind of got under, they got tamed themselves <laughs> and we weren't pushing so hard, uh, building the, the formative years of, of our careers as well. And when all that happened, um, it just, we realized, hey, we've got some time in the day, and we just sort of naturally migrated to bringing back the chickens and then bringing, uh, building up the garden a little bit bigger. After life took them into a path where they shrunk down, they emerged bigger and brighter, and now the farm that you see is the most beautiful butterfly version of their homesteading life. When Clay does the garden, we have tomatoes and corn. When I do the garden, it's kind of on steroids. And so <laughs> <laughs> I took that back over after the school got settled and our kids got a little older. And uh, and that's, you know, we've just kind of built on it 
every every year a little bit more a little bit more until where we're at now. I I remember in in 2017 that I was talking to Clay and just was like, you know, I I want to take back on the garden. I want to do it this way. I want to make sure some of the problems that we had before are dealt with. So we fenced it in, we raised it up, you know, we did a lot of we put some some work into making making sure that the raccoons and the deer couldn't get to it. Got some hound dogs and they <laughs> uh Cure number one for <laughs> raccoons is have a couple of raccoon dogs running around or squirrel dogs running around uh, that seems to to deal with with that problem. But um, yeah, we try to just be kind of fluid and and still and and really listen to to our hearts and to where we feel divinely led. So as you guys have built this over the years and, and grown and shrunk different areas, what has become? Uh, it sounds like to you, it's it's the garden for you personally. Is that when you when you look at your farm and, and the biggest area of production, is it the garden? What is your guys like focus now? I find after like a decade, a homestead yeah. really finds its, you might, you know, have a couple things going on, but there's something that you just hone yeah. in on. You know, I think for me, it's food that we put on our table. And so that's garden chickens for eggs and uh, for Clay and the kids hunting. I mean, Clay and the, the, the kids will come out, they'll help me. The, the girls like to come out to the garden to talk to me and just spend time. Um, the boys sometimes are recruited to come out and talk to me and spend time <laughs> and help me build things and help me put things up. Um, uh, but so for me, definitely I would say the garden. Our three out of four of our kids really love to to hunt as well, and so for Clay and those those three kids, there's a lot of attention given to hunting. And Clay comes out to the garden. He he weeds with me. Like that's there's always that. <laughs> it's always there for us waiting. Um, so he'll come out, you know, and we'll spend time out there in the evenings. But definitely, I would the garden is not the thing he's passionate about, but, um, and, and there's not like a single fruit, you know, we're not, we're, we're not a blueberry farm. We're not monocroppers. We're trying to grow diverse food for that'll last all year long. One of the things I saw my great grandparents do that I really kind of meant a lot to me is they were just, they were fun. You would pull up to their house. I remember one time pulling up with my dad and my great grandpa was standing out there just smiling. He was alone, just smiling, looking at something. And my dad said, what did he grow now? And we went out there and he had grown four little cotton plants, not a row, just four little plants. And there was cotton on them. And I remember I was probably first grade. And I remember looking like, that's what cotton looks like. And being real surprised by what it looked like. And he he just was laughing. And he said, they say you can't grow cotton in this part of the state. And it was kind of funny. Like he grew it just to say he could. That's the only reason he did it. So cool. <laughs> just to say what they said was wrong. He would grow purple broccoli. He would grow you know, you just grow funny things. Uh, once he grew watermelon on a, on a trellis and he tied it up with pantyhose and he wanted all of us to eat the watermelon under that trellis because he was so <laughs> proud of this idea he had or this thing he saw somewhere. And so we had to eat it right there. So I think I saw him like just loving the food he, he grew. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I want. We're not, I'm not growing to sell. I'm not, I'm growing to feed my family and I want to feed them food that I trust and food that I, you know, I touched and I, I helped, I helped cultivate and I love putting that kind of food on my table. And so that's the, that's the main thing. I'll, I say all that and I, I will say purple whole peas have kind of become a Newcomb farm thing, like a thing 
that we love to grow and it's because we have people over to the house to shell them with us and it usually becomes a big community thing. You know, when they are dry, when the beans are dry, you know how it is when you have your, your garden, especially in the south where you can have a couple of seasons, you know, crammed into one, you're you're kind of trying to turn things over pretty quickly. So if you if your peas are ready to harvest, you pull those off. And so by the time people come here, usually we've already got it pulled off on and in buckets. And we have a covered porch and stairs. It always happens late July, early August. And, you know, we usually have a, a get-together here. When we moved to this house, we knew that, you know, our lives were situated uh, inside of the context of community, and we wanted the community to be a big part of, of our life. And so it was actually a big deal to us, like, can we have a lot of people here at this house? Can we have people out in the front yard? And so it's not uncommon for us to have get-togethers, and without a doubt, if a get-together happens in July or August, we're gonna pull out the peas and people are gonna start shelling them. And it's fun, like you'll see just people sitting on, on the stairs of our front porch and um, sitting on the, on, we have some benches on our covered front porch and everybody just shells and you put a big bucket in the middle and you just go through them and talk. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Now you mentioned you guys both still have full-time jobs, right? So yeah. up to this point, we're hearing all that's going on the farm, but now, yeah. oh, you actually both have full-time work. What do you guys do professionally off the farm? And then how do you balance all that? Yeah. Uh, so Clay, um, and like you said, you follow him on Meat Eater. He is, he runs the Bear Grease podcast for Meat Eater and he works full-time for Meat Eater. A lot of the work that he does, he probably is traveling a couple days a week um, just gathering, you know, doing interviews with people, gathering information. Uh, he, he does some of the editing. So he has an office uh, before he worked at Meat Eater. He ran a magazine called Bear Hunting Magazine. And so he, he kept that headquarters up. But he, um, he you know, he travels and he, he does a lot of things. One of those things, fortunately, is hunting. And that's part of his job. So that's a, a really great thing for us. We never... In our wildest imagination, thought that would happen, um, that this would actually become something that he could do professionally, but, uh, you know, here he is doing it. And so um, that's probably the easiest way to say he integrates his life with hunting is that he, he actually does this professionally. And so um, his job actually takes him to, you know, places during the, the different hunting seasons that we probably wouldn't be able to go if he didn't work there. So that's, um, that's that. For me, I think it's just, it kind of all goes back to you, 
we do this because we love it. And we do this because, I mean, I'm going to feed my family some way, right? And so I want to feed them these, these good, strong ingredients, um, food that I've sourced or that I have some connection to that's, you know, just a priority for us with meat that's taken care of. When it comes to the garden, I, you know, I wake up early. I find that it's, it's good for me to, to spend a little bit of time out there and, and just kind of do get, I have a morning routine of going and feeding the animals before we go to work. Um, the summer times, my job is I work for a school. And so, you know, you have this built in flex time. It's, it's, it's still busy in my particular role. It's a year round role. And so it's still busy, but it's more flexible in the summertime, which is just perfect timing for me because it means that if I need to start an hour later, because like this week, I'm not going outside at 5 PM <laughs> because uh, it's going to get up to a hundred this week in Arkansas. And I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I can, you know, I can start work an hour or two later and that's a really nice asset. But I, I also just think it goes back to just understanding like life is integrated. Our, that's our goal is that life would be, there's not this concept of, oh, we need work-life balance where one thing pulls from the other, but there is, this is life. These, this is the areas that God has an emphasis on in our life right now. Certainly raising our kids is one of those things. Um, helping facilitate their, you know, they're, they're all teenagers and they're becoming who they are. And some of them have passions and interests that we uh, have to help facilitate. And when they were younger, they didn't, you know, we didn't, we weren't part of all the sports programs and stuff like that when they were younger, but one of our sons is um, an athlete. And so that requires all, you know, the practices and all that. Um, so it just is a matter of saying, okay, life is life. And here's the areas of emphasis that we have with our church, with our community, with our kids, with our garden, with all, with our work. And what's, it's, it, you know, I, we run week to week, just kind of like we run year to year. And that is what's the emphasis this week? What, what should we put our, you know, our weight on this week? And obviously we're going to have to show up to work every day and we're going to have to feed our kids every day. So let's, you know, do those things. Um, but then what else, you know, what else can we fit in? And because this is something that we love and it's not work in that sense that it's like this drudgery, uh, you know, some nights I don't want to go out and weed, but I do because I want the fruit of, <laughs> of what weeding will produce. And so in the evenings we go out there together, a lot of times as a family, um, at this age, it's not uncommon for our kids. And at the age that your kids are, this is probably really wild to think about, but it's, it's not crazy for us to have evenings where no one is home or no one is unoccupied. Everyone's busy. Everyone's, uh, and they're often able to drive themselves to where they need to go. And so, you know, Clay and I will go outside and and work. He'll train mules. I'll work in the garden. We'll holler at each other across the fence. It's kind of a new, a new different season, but it's just living life inside of, of balance, but also not being too crazy about what we're doing. You know, I'm not super perfectionistic about how we, how we run things. And we try to run the garden in a way that it is self-sustaining. Once it gets going, it, like this time of year, I walked out there yesterday and I was just so happy because everything is tall enough and planted close enough together that there's not like a lot of rows for me to weed. You know, everything is going to be kind of self-weeding from, from this point throughout the year. So we do try to design it so that it's not super intense because in July, my schedule will pick way up and, uh, and I won't be able to have as much free time as I have right now. And so I kind of know those seasons and what life is like and just try to build inside the, the different constraints of every season. So I found you through, I've been following Meat Eater back when it was just a podcast. I was following Meat Eater. 
and I stumbled across you when you were welcome to the Meat Eater family, and I was really excited because Meat Eater for so long has been hunting, which I love. Hunting is a big passion. Yeah. I'm pointing to there's a deer skull behind me. I know you can't see it right now, but there's a big deer skull hanging on the wall behind me. Um, but I was really excited to see kind of the farming and the homesteading thing come to Meat Eater. And, but what really made me say, oh man, I want to get her on the show was you made a comment about how the journey to get you to where you guys are here was something, it was something along the lines of, you said like a decade of, was it a decade of like, it takes a decade. It's, it's a thing that we say in our, in our family, it takes a decade of good decisions before you see the fruit. And that came because, you know, we got married, um, in 2000 and we moved out here in 2005 and I can just tell you, like, life was, it, we, we were married young, we had kids young, we started a business, we, you know, started us a little farm, and we were trying to do a whole lot of different things um, at once, and, and it put pressure on our, on our, our relationship, and it, and it, and it does, like, when you're in this sort of, and I, I mean, I don't know any sort of lifestyle that doesn't, uh, <laughs> anyone that can control pressure around their relationship, so you might as well have that pressure be something you like. <laughs> <laughs> good, yeah. Pressure's always there. And so um, we were really learning how to how to walk through things and we were making choices. And it was like, we don't really see the fruit of any of this. Like, you know, you, you plant a field of corn and the raccoons eat it. And so you, you know, you figure out how to deal with the, the, the raccoons and then you figure out how to deal with this or that. But it feels like you're always problem solving, or at least it did for us in those early days. It felt like we were problem solving. And then one day we kind of looked up and it's like, hey, we are, We've got kids that are going to school and um, they're a little bit more independent. Everybody can tie their shoes, go on hikes without, you know, being carried. There's there's all these things that all of a sudden we could do, and we realize that something in all of the the thick of all the work and all the challenge and all the 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 pressure and the difficulty that we were actually really building something, uh, you know, really wonderful that we were really grateful for, and um, and that's that's something that we realize, okay, you, when you're really building something important, you don't see results overnight. You don't see the fruit right away. We've got older kids now who are going into college and we keep telling them, this is a season of your life where you're going to have to make decisions. And you know, they're, you've got to base them on our value system and you've got to base them on what you believe, but you're not necessarily going to get just all the benefit of that immediately. There will be students in your class who are cheating on exams and get higher scores than you, and you're not going to cheat, and you might not get that great score, but it's building something in you. It's building integrity, and it's building mass inside of you, and so make the hard decisions, make the difficult choices that are aligned with your values, and in 10 years from now, that stuff is going to be producing fruit. And the other stuff, you know, the people who aren't making choices aligned with that, it will produce fruit for them too. And it just may not be the fruit they want. <laughs> the and then so that's, that's a really important concept in our home. So what we say is it takes a decade of good decisions before you see the fruit. You guys are doing so much cool stuff, Missy, between you and your husband, the different things, different projects you work on. Uh, working on, uh, and now you are have been welcomed to the meat eater world. If someone's really enjoyed this interview and they want to keep following your story and what you guys are up to, 
Uh, what's the best place where they can find you, and, and what do you what are you putting out each week? You can go to uh, Newcomb Farm, the Instagram uh, page, Newcomb Farm at Newcomb Farm, and you'll get information about our garden. You'll see our harvests, our, our hunting harvest. Clay Newcomb also has an Instagram account, so you can check him out. Um, Clay runs a podcast called the Bear Grease Podcast. You can subscribe on that at iTunes or uh, Spotify, whatever, really, wherever you get your, your podcast, those would be, you could find the Bear Grease Podcast. It's not exclusively hunting. It's more of a wilderness podcast and uh, talks about um, wilderness and rural culture a whole lot. That's how I'd probably summarize it, but there's a good dose of hunting in there as well. And then Wild and Whole is a new branch of, of Meat Eater that really focuses less on hunting, um, but more on, in general, food that's, that is sourced either from your garden. It does, you know, you'll see recipes on there from from wild game and things like that, but that's not the exclusive focus of, of Wild and Whole. They're looking at um, all, all sorts of foods, whether it's foraging or gardening, um, and they do also have recipes for, for hunters in there as well. So those would be those would be the places I would look. I gotta say, your uh, your husband's podcast, I've, I've been following Meteor since it was just Steve Rinella doing a podcast by himself, and uh, all the different off shoot-offs and everything. I really like what he does with Bear Grease because our show is a highly edited show. We put a lot of time into how we create the end product and bring in music and bring in different voices and narrative. And that's the kind of experience you get with Bear Grease. So if you like Homesteady, I say go check out Bear Grease for sure. And the episode that I really liked uh, that I'd suggest people go start with if you're a Homesteady listener, uh, Clay did one all about soil, which he had Grant Woods on there. Uh, he, he was talking about, it, it's just really good. So that great show, Clay does a really nice job with that. And I was just so thrilled when I saw they brought you on to Meat Eater. Meat Eater, who's a, you know, obviously a big leader in the hunting world, start bringing in some more of these homesteads and family farms, like what you guys are doing there. Uh, that's why when I saw you join, I was like, I got to see if I can get Misty on. Thank you so much for coming on. I think this is Yeah, be, thanks for having me. It'll be so helpful for people, whether they're in that cultivating in the beginning stage or, you know, they're, they're starting their journey or even years into it. It's just so much good advice here. Uh, any parting encouragement to someone who is back at that beginning, Misty, square one, they're in the cultivating their love stage like you talked about. Any advice how to get onto that path of a decade's worth of good decisions? Yeah, do something. Um, you know, a small, you know, four by four, raised bed nothing's too small to start so just start uh, even if it's just going to the neighborhood blueberry farm and picking just just start there's no better way to end the episode than with that just start so if you want to just start we have a free start homesteading today course over at our website this is homesteady.com on the home page there's a button that says join us. You'll join the email list. It will send you an invitation to take our Start Homesteading Today course. Again, it's a free video course. I hope it helps you get started. And until next time, remember, the road is rocky. Make homesteading.